I don't know, but it's been my observation in my lifetime that up until about the 1950s or so, the main question in every human life that was people who were struggling what it meant to be really human asked, will I have what it takes to do the right thing? Will I have what it takes to do right? Will I have what it takes to take my security, my happiness, and, and put it aside? put it beneath the honor of my country or the well-being of my family? Or will I put it beneath any principles of truth or justice that need to be elevated? Will I be, am I willing to die for these things? Will I be willing to suffer for these things? That's courage. That's integrity. And that's what it means to be fully human. And that has changed. Gene Sherman's observation. You know, just mine. But when you look at us today, and just ask any freshman in college, the challenge to be human is completely different. The challenge to be human means to find what your real feelings are, to find out what your desires are, and to go and to fulfill them. Real courage today means the courage to be yourself, to know who you are, and to ditch or to lay aside any expectation of the church, the society, the family, of anybody so that I can fulfill myself. That's courage today. That's what it means to be truly human today. Answering the question, who am I? Nobody worried about that, I think, up until about the mid-20th century. But, you know, if you look at the scripture and you look at the reality of the scriptures, a Christian disciple is somebody who has said that all of the pursuits in life are secondary to the pursuit of knowing and following Jesus Christ. Following Jesus Christ as my master and savior is my primary focus. Jesus puts it very bluntly. He says, he who seeks to find himself will lose himself. He who loses himself for my sake will find himself. So if somebody's struggling with who am I, and puts that as their highest priority, according to Jesus, we'll never find out who they are. If you think it's more important for you to find out who you are, to fulfill your desires and to obey a higher cause, then you will never find out who you are. And you will never have your desires fulfilled. It's a spiritual catch-22. So the question really is, what does it mean to be a disciple? What are the qualifications of a disciple? And so I invite you to open up with me in your Bibles to John chapter 1. If you're visiting with us, you'll find it in the back of your bulletin. Because lectionary, like I mentioned in the introduction, is, is taking a hard, just jumping back to John's gospel, and where we learn that Jesus is telling us what it means to be his disciple. One, he calls us to himself. Two, he calls us to follow. And three, he calls us to a great adventure. He calls us to himself. He calls us to follow. And he calls us to a great adventure. He does so over two separate days. So first, he calls us to himself. In verse 43, we see he comes to Philip and he says, follow me. Well, he already knew Philip. 
And in earlier, we see him talking to Andrew, and the other apostle, quite frankly, is probably John. John never refers to himself by name in his own gospel. And these guys had already heard about Jesus through John the Baptist. We've even heard Bob read for us twice. John has said, Behold, Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So these two knew about Jesus and already believed in Jesus and knew who he was, but it was not until the point that Jesus turns around and says, Come, come with me, that they respond. And that's normal. People start by kind of hanging around Jesus. Then and now, people start by coming close to him. And Jesus is so quick to take people like that and to immediately challenge them to a call to discipleship. And in fact, if you look carefully, you'll see Jesus is somewhat petrified lest people will hang around him for the wrong cause. In Luke chapter 9, someone comes to him and says, Jesus, I'm with you. Jesus looks at him and says, Foxes have holes, birds have nests, and the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Do you know what you're getting into? Not necessarily the best way to recruit followers, is it? Jesus almost seems scared to have people hang around him. It's as if he's saying, I don't want people who believe in me. I want followers. I don't want people who like me. I want disciples. And so I want you to consider this as we're going through this text this morning. And keep this question in your mind. Is it possible that I'm somebody who hangs around Jesus? Who has gathered around Jesus? Who likes Jesus? Who's a fan of Jesus? It could be that I'm an interested observer in Jesus, but I've never responded to his call. Jesus says, I don't want believers, I want followers, I want disciples. Is it possible you've never really responded to that call? Keep that question in your mind. See, there's lots of reasons people hang around Jesus, quite frankly. They hang around Jesus because some people like the crowds, you know, whatever's popular, they follow it. And our culture likes personalities. It doesn't matter the substance of the personality, they just follow the personality. You know, they don't care about the ideas. They just like a strong personality. So whenever you find a bunch of strong personalities flocking, you'll find a lot of people. There's a crowd. Others like Jesus because he's the miracle worker and he does things for them. That's something Jesus constantly pushes back on. You know he can do things. You know he can work miracles. Some of you may following after him like Andrew and John, not coming up too closely, but just kind of checking him out. Another reason, because there's something you want done in your life. It could be that there's some goal you've had for many years, and now as you're starting to get older, you start to see life slip away. It looks less and less likely you're going to come in, and so you come into him with a relationship with him, with a bargaining mentality. Maybe if I do this, O oh Lord, you'll come in, you'll heal me, you'll change me. You'll make up for the problem that I'm dealing with and the problem that I've had my whole life. I need a miracle. Jesus has never been easy on people with such requests. 
Other people like to hang around Jesus because they like to be right. You know? They want to get enough of his teaching so they can turn around and look down their nose at people and say, wisdom perishes with me. You know? I am in the know. I am in the inner ring. Just, just circle around me, people. Uh, there are also some people who follow Jesus because they're guilty of their past behavior. They hang around because there are things in their lives they feel guilty for. And a lot of people, if that's you, have told you you shouldn't feel guilty. And you've paid them 80 bucks an hour to remind you that you're not guilty. And yet here you are. So you hang around, and you study God's word, and you do Christian service, and you come to worship with a desperate need to feel that you're all right. Jesus said all these situations says that's not good enough. Just hanging around for a miracle, hanging around for a blessing. I don't want people who believe in me. I don't want people just to like me. I don't want fans. I want disciples. I want followers, not curiosity seekers. So Jesus refuses to let us just hang around. He calls us deeper. He says, if you're going to be with me, you have to be called. I call you, but what does he call you to? Well, he calls you to follow. Now, the word follow happens a lot in the scriptures, and it's a marvelous and simple word. But let me suggest this. First of all, when he calls us to follow, he's calling to make Jesus your highest priority. Make me primary, he says. Make me number one. You see, to follow somebody means you have to leave somewhere. You can't stay where you are. And so Jesus means when he says, follow me, he says, your other primary relationships are going to change. Your, your job may change. Your thinking will change. Your, follow me. I have to be your primacy. I, I don't remember when it was, but it was sometime, I think, in the late 80s, early 90s. I think it was a Merrill Lynch commercial. This really good-looking 30-year-old stockbroker rolls out of bed with his hair perfectly coiffed. Comes down the stairway gulping a cup of coffee and coming out of the doorway, is on the phone saying, what do we open in London at today? You know what the message is? It's very simple. The message is that day can't begin too soon for a man that's consumed by a single aim to get you rich. Here's a man who's willing to punish his body. Here's a man who's willing to do anything because he has one aim in life. And it's not a caricature. What is it that gets you to do that at least for a while? A person like that has heard a call. A person like that has given something a center of gravity and it pulls them in. That center of gravity means everything in, in their life is being pulled toward that center. It gives you a very clear and simple test, a touchstone, a plumb line in which to follow, in which you can make all decisions in your life. You know how to schedule things. You know what decisions to make. You know what to do with your life. And it gives you meaning. And it gives you a reference point. You live that way for a while. 
till you burn up, break down, die. You have meaning in life and you have a priority and everything falls into place. And you don't have a lot of hard decisions to make because you've got that center. But today, it's kind of flipped around. A lot of people are saying, well, yeah, but how long can you keep that up? So we get people who say, you can't keep that up. It's unsustainable. You need to, to go and buy some farmland out in Wellington and make a, a hop farm to support the microbrewery industry that's growing. That's what I need to do. And some people will say, you can't have that kind of drive. You can't have a single aim. Well, you know, astronauts have been in space, know what it's like to not have gravity. Zero gravity means there's no direction pulling your life. Without a center of gravity, without any direction in life, you realize how difficult things are. The things that are pretty normal usually get very odd. Like, you know, you pour a glass of water here on Earth, you know which direction it's going in space. You better watch. You know, when you turn a screw in space, you know, you might be the one that's turning and not the screw. You gotta brace yourself. And you see, that's because there's no center gravity. Well, friends, it's absolutely true in the spiritual realm. If you don't have a center of gravity, you do not have that one thing. If you're not a man or a woman of one thing, so that everything orients you spiritually, you become spiritually and morally weightless. You're disoriented. You don't know which way is up or down. You have a, a spiritual vertigo. And the opposite of gravity is flippancy. Is, you know, you become like a helium balloon that can be blown anywhere. And you have no way of deciding which of your conflicting emotions in your heart and mind you should follow and which ones you should ignore. You don't know which end is up. And here's what's so weird. There are a lot of people who live their lives like that. Without a center of gravity, they're called cynics. And they come to you and say, nothing is worth dying for. Nothing is a center of gravity. There's no higher cause. Enjoy yourself. Those people are liberating to be with for a while, but you're either going to get bored with them or you're going to join with them, which means you get just as shallow as they are. So you need a center of gravity. You have to have that one thing in your life or life is meaningless. But the one thing that, that we have in this world will exhaust us and burn us out. Therefore, it must be there, this one thing. There's a center of gravity we haven't found yet that we can give our lives to, have meaning. At the same time, will not exhaust us. Will not, but instead will transform us. Will develop us. Develop us. And Jesus says, well, the answer has come. I'm it. See? I'm the beginning and the end. The one thing. And besides that, being a disciple doesn't just mean make him a top priority. It also means you give him a life of absolute obedience. The word disciple that's used again and again in the Bible actually is the word that means student, learner. 
a full-time student, but not a full-time student the way we think of a full-time student. Because these guys ask Jesus immediately about where he lives. Did you notice that? They call him rabbi, which shows him that they want to be his disciples. They're willing to listen. Here's the reason why. You know, if you take 15 to 18 credit hours, we say to our kids, well, that's, that's a good load. That's good. You can be busy. Eight in the morning to five at night, studying. That's, but this is a different kind of student, a different kind of disciple. This is a full-time student that lives with the master. This person comes and leaves everything else, lives with the teacher, and the relationship between the student and the teacher is not merely an academic one. It's also one of absolute obedience. The master, the rabbi, restructures the disciple's entire life. Now, this is something modern people are absolutely scared of. We hate the idea of absolute authority, and we hate the idea of obedience. Whenever you've been around anywhere near a Christian church, you may have heard this kind of attitude, you must obey. But unless you see the obedience of Jesus Christ demands as a matter of personal dealing with him as a disciple, you won't understand what Christian obedience is at all. Think of it this way. Here's an impersonal object. We'll take this book. You know? This book is an... Im- now, I know it's the Bible. I know it's the Word of God, but bear with me here, okay? It's, it's, it's a book. It doesn't make any demands on me. I can read it or not. It makes no claims on me. If I don't want to read it, I don't. If I do want to read it, I do. It can't say to me, Gene, pick me up and read. Right? It doesn't do that. Same thing with any inanimate object. Your car, a fork. How do you relate to a person? How do you relate? You start to find out that person's wants, that person's needs. And there has to be some type of give and take. You have to surrender your will to be a great to a great degree, to be in order to relate to that person. You have to be willing, in many cases, to put your goals aside to relate to that person. So that you're trying to have a personal relationship with them. If you don't do that, if you don't surrender your will some, that person will feel used and will be put out. See, you can't relate to a person without to a degree of serving, to a degree of submitting, or they'll feel used. Because that's not, they're not a book, and they're not a fork, and they're not a car. And now when you get to God, a higher level of being, how do you relate to him? The only way to relate to a beingless, all-powerful, all-wise Almighty person is to surrender your will utterly, don't you see? Because the more personal relationship gets, the more intimate it becomes. And you have to surrender yourself and serve. When you get to this relationship, the most relationship of all, intimate relationship of all, is you have to surrender your will completely. And let me put this in as stark a term as I know how. The Bible tells us Jesus Christ holds the universe together with the word of his power. 
I remember somewhere in my growing up and studies, someone told me that if the entire distance between the Earth and the Sun, which is 93 million miles, could be put into the thickness of a piece of paper, then the distance to the nearest star would be a stack of paper 70 feet high. And the diameter of the Milky Way would be a stack of paper 310 miles high. And the Milky Way is just a speck of lint in the vast expanse of the universe. All of that is what Jesus Christ holds together with the word of his power, with his pinky. Do you ask that person to come alongside of you and be your personal assistant? Do you ask that person to come into your life? Oh, I'll even let you be my secretary, my executive secretary. Do you say, now listen, Lord, I don't want to deal with you every day. I don't want to revolve my life around you. But when I need you, I want you to be there. Will I have a, when I have a problem, I want you to answer my prayers. In other words, don't call us, we'll call you. Is it possible you could relate to somebody like this personally and act toward him like that? Does that make any sense at all? Do we ask Jesus into our lives to basically make applications for you? In other words, you know, for example, you know Jesus says, you know, you don't covet, you know, Ten Commandments, the final one. You shall not covet. And you see that Chevy commercial this afternoon, and boy, that Camaro's looking really good. I gotta have one. Or the latest phone, or the latest computer, or the latest fill in the blank. And you say to the Lord in any aspects, Lord, I'll take all that under advisement. I don't know whether right now this is a practical thing for me, however. And I'm feeling kind of frustrated in some of my lives, but, you know, I don't know whether obeying you really is a practical thing, oh Lord. Therefore, I, I'm going to, I really appreciate your application to me that you want to be my Lord, and, and you want me to obey you, but I'll think about it, and oh, by the way, my, your time is up, Lord. My secretary will show you to the door. You can't relate to a person like that, let alone a God like this. The only way you could possibly relate to him at all is if you're going to even approach him or deal with him is to go to him and say, Lord, I'll obey you completely. You're not a disciple until you're willing to say, I submit all of my mind and all my heart and all my behavior completely to everything he tells me to do, everything in his word, regardless of the consequences, regardless of whether it looks practical to me or not. I will revolve my life around Jesus Christ. I must, I must. Anything else will utterly cut me off from him. You can't know him personally unless you're a disciple, and you're kidding yourself if you think you can. A God who just hangs around and comes when you ring for him is a God of your own imagination. We obey him, and if we don't, will miss out. And here's why. Because he doesn't just call us to follow. He calls us to a great adventure. A life of great adventure. The incredible thing, whenever Jesus calls us to obedience, we get so darn scared 
and, and yet he promises us that if you're willing to come, there will be adventure. There'll be greatness. There'll be a great joy. There'll be fulfillment that you can't possibly imagine. That's why he's not said to them, come. He said, come and see. He's always saying, come and see. And there are a lot of people, probably, who when you heard what I said about obedience, you got absolutely immediately terrified, right? You're oppressed by it. And you say, what if he asked me to do something I don't want to do? Well, he's God. Of course he's going to ask you to do something you don't want to do. The only relationship we have left in the modern world to the rabbi and the disciple is the relationship between a coach and an athlete or the relationship of a, a vocal coach for a, a vocal performance major or an organ major or a, a, a pianist major. Those coaches in their life. Can you imagine if... Urban Meyer is recruiting the latest blue chip athlete, and that athlete tells Herb, you know, coach, I think you're great, but, you know, I don't want you to push me too hard. You know, I'll be there, and I'll be ready for the games and all, but, you know, I, I don't want, I'm going to work on my terms. I'm going to do what I want to do. What's Herb going to say? You know what he's going to say. He's going to say, son... I'm going to hand your defensive lineman. I'm going to hand you over to Coach Larry Johnson. And Larry Johnson is going to take you further than you ever imagined. He's going to push you, not only as an athlete, but as a student, farther than you ever thought you could go if you will give yourself to us. Right? When Rebecca was a vocal performance major at Grove City, her vocal performance teacher at times crushed her. She'd call Kimmy weeping at times with the course load of all the else she's taking. She's in touring choir, and she's got this senior performance coming up. She was just under tremendous stress, and she didn't think she could do it, and she was complaining about the coach and everything. We show up for her senior recital. The place is packed, and there's just a pianist and Rebecca. She sings an hour's worth of material. I never heard my daughter sing so beautifully. Friends, we're going to get pushed. Jesus says, if you truly are my disciples, then you will obey the truth, and the truth will set you free. No one who has ever achieved greatness in any field has done so first without having to submit him or herself to unbelievably painful, painstaking regimen of exercises. You know that's true. All kinds of things you had to undergo. And it wasn't until after that happened, it wasn't until you obeyed your master that all the explosive potential, your heart, and all your talent came out for the world to see. It's the same thing spiritually. It'll be much more so spiritually, as a matter of fact. How can you expect anyone good at any profession, anyone good at any particular skill, you figure you're going to spend years of your life spending hours every day submitting yourself to very uncomfortable regimens in order to get yourself to a place where you're able to be free to practice this with all the skill and the talent that you have. Are you expecting your Christian life to be any different? Are you kidding me? 
You are built for absolute obedience to the master. When I was a kid, I'd be fishing at my Uncle Earl's pond, and I'd catch a fish, and it might not be a keeper, you know? So I'd just throw it on the ground. You know, I'm a sinner, all right? Yeah, this one's not worth keeping. Boom. I'd look down a few minutes later, and I'd see that fish gasping for air. I, you know, I had some feeling in me. And so I would I'd pick the four fish up and say, you know, I don't know if this one's going to make it, but might as well try. So I'd throw the fish back in the pond, and guess what would happen? Fish would whoosh, swim away, come alive. It's amazing. Just imagine the joy that that fish had, as much joy as a fish can garner up, when it gets back into the water. Because, my friends, it was built for the medium that it was designed for, and you were built for the medium of a walk with Jesus Christ. Right now, if you're struggling in your walk with Jesus, or if you call yourself a Christian, and yet this text has been describing you, you're out on the grass grasping for breath. If you've never said, I'm all in for you, O Lord. No more conditions. No more saying, I'll obey you if. Because if that's what you're saying, you're not a disciple. Only you can become a disciple is like being thrown back into the water of God's grace. Even though, in a sense, you've never experienced it, you were built for it. Wait and see. See, Nathaniel must have done something really important for Jesus to talk to him the way he did. Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathaniel gasped and said, How did anybody know what happened when I was under that fig tree by myself? See, we don't know what what happened under the fig tree with Nathaniel, but we know it was something pretty interesting. And Nathaniel then responds to Jesus, Rabbi, you're the Son of God. You're the Messiah. And Jesus says, oh, you think that's something? You think because I'm some kind of mind reader, that's something? Oh, you're going to see greater things as these. Buddy, I got an adventure for you. You're going to see heaven opened up and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. He's referring back to Jacob's ladder in Genesis when he's saying that, by the way. You know the story when Jacob had a vision of angels of God going up and down this ladder right into the core of God's presence. And all of a sudden, the ladder disappears. The angels disappear. Never to be seen again. Jesus Christ says, if you come and follow me, I want you to know something, that I am the link between heaven and earth. You will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on me. Because I'm your center of gravity. Through me, you can come right into the presence of God. Through me, you can come into a right relationship. A glorious presence of God can come flooding into you and through you to the world. There are realms of fulfillment and realms of joy and realms of realization that you cannot imagine. Give yourself to me. Come and see. Have you been hanging around, hanging around out of curiosity? 
guilt, duty, hoping for a deal with God of some kind, you know, some type of miracle. You might have been saying, well, Lord, I'll give you this if you give this to me. Friends, that's paganism. You might as well go out into the field and do your dance to appease the deity to hope that it can rain on your harvest fields. So you can't treat the God of the universe like that. You know why? Because this God came down as one of us to die upon the cross for us so that we can have this kind of relationship. So get in the spiritual water and swim that you were designed to swim in. He says, you will not ever, ever, ever consider yourself getting the poor end of the deal if you get completely, give yourself completely to me. Give to me everything that you are. I'll give you everything that I am. Now, what kind of deal is that? There are some here who would say, well, I've made myself a disciple. I've given myself to the Lord, but I haven't seen much growth lately. Yeah, here's why. Because there's a battle going on between your life in Christ and the world. Because Jesus says, follow me, and that's a forceful command. But the phone starts ringing, the texts start coming, the emails start coming, the children's demands start coming. Everything, life just happens, right? Next thing you know, there's no time for anything else. There's a battle in your life on what's the center of your life. And friends, those who say, I'm a disciple, we have to decide whether our lives are going to be lived for Jesus or by these other things. See, a disciple insists on following. The disciple said, there's a study that I have to do. There's a ministry I have to serve in. There's time I have to spend pouring myself out in my heart to him. I will insist on those things. The great Christians in Christendom have insisted on those things, and they've experienced mighty experiences with God, and they've seen the world change through them. You wish I had the same kind of joy and the same kind of power they had. Have you really sought it? Really? It comes because they were disciples and they insisted on following his call today. Just today. Just today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Just today. Psalm 1 says the mark of a godly man is not that he preaches on street corners every day or that he prays day and night and that he worships day and night and that he fellowships every night. What does it say? He who delights in the law of God meditates on it day and night. In other words... He loves to have God tell him what to do. Do you like that, or does that sound horrible to you? Jesus says, take my yoke upon me, for my burden is easy. My yoke is light. Every other yoke, every other burden will crush you. Come and see. You're called. You're called to follow. And it's a great adventure. Come with me and see. Let's pray. 
Lord, we, we're, we thank you that you're a God who promises if we give ourselves utterly to you, you will give yourself completely to us. Father, there's never been such a lopsided deal in the history of the universe offered, and yet that's exactly what you offer to us. And Lord, we pray this morning as we go to our prayer time that we would do it and take the offer. Lord, that you would help us to renew for the 900th and 99th time, or maybe for the first time, our covenant and commitment with you to be your disciples. You said, come, and so we come and see. Show us yourself, for we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.